we're talking this year about this idea of as above, so below, and the idea, this picture of a tree where it bears lush life above ground, but there has to be an equal root system that mirrors it below. And so the question we're asking of all of us this year is for those of us who are like passionately out there on the edges, um, hoping to bring God to a broken world, that, that we develop something deeper that can sustain that, because otherwise, you know, the tree without the deep, wide roots eventually just kind of falls over. But at the same time, there are some of us who love our times with Jesus, love these, these amazing Holy Spirit times, but actually God would call us to know our neighbours so that we would actually be a fruit. And so I think this prayer thing is really important. I'm going to share tonight just for a little while because we've, we've talked a bit already tonight. Um, but next week we're going to have Mark Johnson come in. So some of you tonight may be going, oh, that's some cool theory, but actually that doesn't help me in the day-to-day. Um, as far as like how I begin to have a rhythm or a discipline prayer. Mark is going to bring some of that stuff next week. Um, I think John Crawshaw is going to come down from Ngāsiawa on the 14th of May and talk around like contemplative tradition. For those of you who are more, more into that kind of contemplative spaces of silence and, um, and waiting on God. And then um, we're going to go straight charismatic the week after that. Um, we're going to get John and Mary Turner down um, to just get a bit wacky with us. Um, and, um, and hopefully across that you will encounter something that resonates with you. Because I think sometimes why prayer is hard for us is because we think that prayer looks a certain way. Um, but if you actually look back over the, the history of the church, this this couple of thousand years, it's looked real different for different people. Um, there have been really different practices, so hopefully a few of those will, will go before you. Um, my journey with prayer is that I came to faith when I was uh, 13 or 14 um, and, um, and, and got saved in this Anglican church um, that was really a Pentecostal church, because an Anglican church can be whatever it wants, as long as it puts out the elements at the end of the service. Um, and so um, we went along to these conferences, and they had names like Firepower. Like, no joke, actually called Firepower. Um, another one called Second Wave. Um, I don't know what the first wave was. But, um, and, um, and Ingrid and Dave and some of those guys used to come along to some of these. And, um, like, without doubt, like, ridiculous stuff would happen, you know? Like, we would see healing um, happen that was, was undeniable. Like, like, not just like, oh, I kind of had a headache and now I don't. But, like, miraculous, miraculous stuff. Um, and this tangible power of God, which was undeniable. Like, even, like I, I don't doubt it anymore, like, even years later, because it was just, it was just outrageous. Um, and then I kind of went along with that church for a while and then ended up in a vineyard church. And vineyard have this slightly more British expression of the Holy Spirit. Um, we like maybe don't get as loud and jump around and you have less lights, but it's still really powerful. Um, and so, um, so there I remember one night um, where uh, I, I suddenly got... I'm just taking the piss out of headaches and I'm about to talk about one. But I got a headache midway through a service. And, um, and I was like, oh, sometimes when people have these pains, well, sometimes I see these people go up in front and grab the microphone and they say, oh, I think someone has this pain. And I just have this idea in my head. I wonder if my headache is someone else's headache. Um, and so I went up in front and grabbed the microphone, which I'm sure they're really stoked with. And just said, I think someone has a headache here. And I think you might have had it for a long time. And it turned out this girl had been gone to church for the first time that night and had had these chronic migraines for several years, and she was healed that night and came to Jesus. 
Um, so had this kind of like crazy journey there through Vineyard, came into Blueprint and just threw it all out for a few years because, you know, screw everything that wasn't Blueprint um, was kind of the way we were. And then um, through the journey of working at Zeal and, um, and through doing a lot of community stuff um, and, and living in the pain of people's lives and then going through my own mental health journey with depression and anxiety, um, that charismatic thing kind of went through, like, you know, those kind of Play-Doh things where you make the shape out the other end? So, like, the charismatic went out, and it still came out charismatic, but with this contemplative thing. Um, so, I still really love it here when I see people receive healing. I love it when people meet Jesus for the first time. Um, but if I want to pray during the day, I don't put on Hillsong. I, like, light a little candle um, that Anna has in this little crate in the corner of our room next to a picture of Mary. Um, and um, and I, I, vow like, I vow like someone, um, like you might see a Muslim man do, like I bow with my head to the ground. Um, and there's a lot of imagination involved in the way that I pray and a lot of silence. And I find it really hard to connect with God when it's really loud all the time. Um, so Easter camp was a really interesting journey for me the other week. Um, um, so um, that has kind of been my journey. Um, and I kind of wrestle with this tension because you have these churches where we tend to kind of want to go one way or the other. We either want to go the fully charismatic and say it's all about the spirit and those contemplative guys have missed it. Or the contemplators go, you guys are just all shallow and loud and we've got it. But I actually think it's somewhere in between. Um, and so this is... Uh, not meant to be the first five minutes of what I said, but what I want to say is I hope these next um, few weeks that you find a language, a dialect of prayer that makes sense to you, um, and it is still, um, there is still a discipline and a habit that needs to be formed to prayer. Like, prayer is not as entertaining as everything else that the world offers us at the moment, you know? Like, it is not going to entertain you. And if there's anything about the kingdom of God we know is that it hides in the mud and the dirt and it's an old coin that rolled under a sofa, that it's always the unattractive thing hidden in the place you don't want to look for it. So if you want to find the depths of knowing God, it's not often really sexy and entertaining. It normally requires going, God, I believe you'll be at the end of me being obedient to you. So, <laughs> to talk about prayer. Um, and I'll try not to go for um, too long. Um, Matthew 6, 5, 8. This is Jesus speaking. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So we've got this, is this picture here of these people who are praying as a kind of a performance, so that people will see their piety. If you look at the original Greek around this word hypocrites that Jesus uses here, hypocrites actually refers to the mask that they would wear in the theatre at the time. It was a hypocritic mask. Um, and so they would swap on and swap off all these different masks at different stages during the production. So when we're saying that, what we're actually saying is you just trade in and out your appearance for a performance. And, and it's just this awkward kind of gross picture here, eh? Of people like this deep intimacy with God, this sacred space where they are like trying to make a show out of it and trying to bolster themselves. And I was thinking about what it was like today, and I don't know if you guys had this experience when, I, when you were an intermediate, 
But at intermediate, you know, people would pass each other for the first time. And they would, like, stand there and make out. And then, like, a circle of 50 people would just stand around them and watch. I don't know if anyone else in school was like, did anyone else see this? And you're like, okay, just power intermediate, I'm sorry. But it was so weird. You're like, what are you people doing? This is meant to be this little, like, intimate, weird moment between two people. And we're all just watching on. Going, oh, if only one day. <laughs> like, you cannot get much more vicarious. It's like the worst form of reality television. <laughs> but, like, I actually, there's another passage, I think it's in Matthew 18, where you have this picture of this guy praying, saying, thank you, Lord, that I am not like the tax collector while the tax collector is over here. Like, it's just ridiculous, you know? That it's this deeply sacred thing that, that in, this, in this passage here, we have made into this performance to kind of buy some credits. And so, what I think prayer does for us, one of the things that I know it does for me, and there's many things it does, but it demasks us. It takes off the hypocritic mask, if you're doing it right. Because you have to get before God. You know, it says in that passage, go into your, into your room, shut the door, and be alone with God. Take off the hypocritic mask and be exactly who you are. In the areas that you're transformed, yes, be transformed. In the areas where you're still fundamentally broken, be broken. So I think prayer is this thing of us being able to be fully who we are for once in our lives and for God to be fully who he is. And so there's this thing, you know, many people are scared of prayer because the fear is, well, what if I don't say the right thing? But the picture we have here is, is to take off the mask, to take off the hypocritic mask, and that this is the space where you can be truly known. And we live in this society today, we live in this age where everything is masks. And we can, through social media, manufacture thousands of masks every day. Whether that mask is a picture of us that's had the filter turned up, or whether it's us going, look at this brand I associate with, never have we been able to interchange masks so quickly and be so many different people that we aren't actually. And there's become subcultures around Christianity. And so the fear that we have here is that Jesus came in order that we would be liberated from the masks that we feel we have to wear. But if we get into Christianity and we begin to make our devotional life with God something that earns us points of piety, then what we have done is remasked again <coughs> within the faith. And I actually don't know what hope there is if we cannot be authentic before God. Like if we have to pretend in every other space of our lives and then we come before God and feel again that a mask has to come on, where do we go from that? Where is the true self? ever revealed and so a couple of times Jesus counters this hypocritical mask with prayer I want to talk to just briefly and I want to give some pictures of how to go about this stuff um, I think the crowd is quite a powerful thing and um, I remember some of you will remember and this is uh, quite hard for me to bring up because I'm still like talking about it but um, every now and then I, I like to post like blogs online and last year I had this blog that just went colossally bad like in a really bad way 
And I started to get all this hate flowing in, like all these messages. And it was crazy the way it affected me. Like I actually, I felt like vomiting. I was sweating. I was shaking. It was like my entire body um, kind of was affected by this experience. Um, and it kind of like, I talk about it now, and I'm still like, like I just, you know, it makes me feel sick. The power, the power of the crowd is huge. And I think one of the worst things about social media is that it might actually only be five people. But it kind of allows you to imagine a few thousand more, um, and that, that you're actually out of the judgment or the gaze. Like the crowd is a powerful thing. There's this youth work model some of your practice guys will know about called the invisible audience, um, which is the idea that every young person thinks that everybody's watching them all the time. Um, I don't know if I ever grew out of that, <laughs> um, and I imagine like quite a few of us could say that there still is the sense that we're a little bit on stage all the time. And if you're on stage, well, you don don the hypocritic mask, eh? Um, and so in Luke 5, 15, 16, Jesus is absolutely killing it. He's healing the sick, he's raising the dead, killing it, um, starting a revolution. Um, and this news is, has begun to spread. And so it says here, Luke 5, 15, 16, yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So the momentum of his revolution is beginning to, to really get some years going. And it says that in the midst of this movement picking up steam and the crowd beginning to gather, Christ removes himself to pray. And I think about some of the concerns um, that it would be fairly legitimate for Jesus to have um, as his ministry takes off. I mean, there were I often think about the sick people Jesus didn't heal. And I think like, that must have been an interesting thing for a mortal man to know that this power sometimes comes within him and yet there is a moment he turns away from the crowd and there are people who, should, who could be healed who aren't. There are hungry people Jesus didn't feed. There are a whole bunch of people who thought he was crazy. His family thought he was crazy for a good amount of the time. They called him a criminal and wanted to kill him. Like There's a lot of pressure on this guy. And so where does Jesus go in the midst of all these accusations of the crowd? He goes to the lonely place to pray. He removes himself from the crowd. He goes back to dissect the mask that has been put upon him by the crowd around him and to see who he truly is reflected back in his father. And one of the pictures that's become really powerful to me in um, my prayer life over the last while has been, um, I, uh, I imagine this kind of house when I started my prayer life. And it started as like a mud bunker um, because that's about how I felt my prayer life looked at that point. <laughs> um, and so over the weeks, me and God would um, meet every day or two and we'd go into the mud bunker. And over a few months, we renovated the mud bunker to be somewhere that I'd actually like to go. Um, and so we like clad the walls and eventually somehow this mud bunker rose above the ground. We put doors and windows in it. Um, and there's this picture I've talked to a bunch of people about before of, um, by um, a Russian artist, um, Rublev, I think it is, of the Trinity sitting around this table, and one side of the table is empty for us to approach. And so for me, when I go into a time of, of prayer, I imagine this house, and I walk in the front of this house, and I see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit seated around one side of this table, and I come and sit with them. And that metaphor and that place of imagination. I don't know if many of you guys use your imagination a lot in prayer, but I find it really important and really powerful. And so I'll come to approach this table and there's been like some, um, 
some beautiful moments on there. Like I can remember one day just feeling like so small and just like really feeling that pressure of the crowd. And I walked into this room and it's like God grabs hold of the imagery sometimes. I walk into this room and I'm about this big and I'm looking up at the table and it's massive and Father, Son, Holy Spirit are massive. And I'm like, oh, I can't get up to you. And in this moment I see Father, Son and Holy Spirit shrink. And they come and sit with me and as we talk and they, we all grow together and go back to the table. It was like this beautiful picture of restoration, you know? It probably sounds quite mystic to some of you. But um, I remember this one day when there were just, I think it was around the time that, that blog dropped. And I, I'm, I'm praying and I'm um, walking to this house. And I remember it was like a walking dead. There were just people pushed up all against the windows. And it was like this picture, you know, of God saying, like, look, but all these people you perceive want to come into this space, but this space is for you and I, and it's not for them. So I remember getting up and closing the curtains, and, and it was a really healing moment. So this has become some of the picture for me, that there is a space with God where no one else gets to go. And if we were to just think about prayer that way, that would kind of, that would be all right, eh? Like, that's an all right starting place. If I were to say to you, begin a discipline of creating a place where only you and God get to go, that allows you quite a bit of, uh, quite a bit of room. Prayer silences the voice of the crowd and amplifies the voice of the Father. Prayer silences the voice of the crowd and amplifies the voice of the Father. And, and in our world today, the crowd is a big voice. And if you want to live in this world, if you want to have a faith that grows, you are going to need a space where the noise of the crowd is dispelled and where the voice of the Father is amplified. One more thing, and um, probably another five minutes and I'll wrap up. Um, I remember a couple of years ago, um, I got invited to speak at this conference and um, felt really exciting because there were going to be like 150 people there, whoa. Um, and, um, and I like just started getting really nervous about the whole thing. Um, and, uh, and I arrive at it and do all the planning for it, get up in the morning, do my session um, and totally nailed it. I'm sorry, like it, it went really good. I'm just going to claim it. And immediately what happens after this, when you do a youth camp and you nail it, like a hundred young people want to talk to you all at once. Um, and, um, and I was one of those young people who used to want to talk to the person who was probably freaking out about speaking to 150 people. And, um, and so all these young people start coming up to you and they don't actually see who you really are. They just see you as the symbol um, of uh, a bunch of stuff that they value or the opportunity to be... Um, near someone they respect or whatever, but actually, like, they're not really seeing you. They're kind of seeing this 30-minute projection of you where you get to talk about all the best parts of who you are and, and look nice under some lights. Um, and so I, I go through this for an hour, I have lunch, and then I go back to my room and I lie down on the bed, and about five minutes later, I just feel this, like, almighty crash. Um, like, I've just been riding this massive ego wave for, like, an hour. <laughs> And then I've just tumbled off the back of it and just got, like, totally decimated. Um, and, and I just remember being like, whoa, like, I was like, I was like, God, I thought I was better than this. Um, and I just remember the Spirit saying really clearly, you were the same person when you got up this morning as you are now. And there's this interesting passage I really love um, from John 6, 
um, where Jesus feeds the 5,000. Um, and he comes to the end of this. And it says, The people saw the sign that Jesus did. Then they began to say, This must be the prophet who is supposed to come into the world. But Jesus knew that they planned to come and force him to be their king. So he went again to a mountain by himself. They planned to force him to become their king, so he went to a mountain by himself. And there is this thing about humanity where we love to make people kings or criminals. In the same way that they did Jesus. We either want to make them our supreme Lord, our, our super God, or we want to make them pond scum. Like we're often not good at the in-between. And, um, and in this picture you see Jesus, whose intention here is that the power of God would be displayed, that the miracle would point to the miracle giver, but instead you have the people who can't get past the flesh in front of them, and try to make this person in front of them a king, and then later make them a criminal. I think prayer is where we discover that we're neither of those things, that we are neither kings, that we are neither criminals, that we are neither of those extremes. Prayer is the space in which we are liberated from self-contempt or self-deification. It's the place where we actually look on God and remember that we are not God. And when we are low, God lifts us again and says, you are my child. Crowds will come, and crowds will try to make us kings and criminals. And without that space, where God can take off the mud or the medals that get put on us, it's really difficult to live the Christian life. A picture of this has become... Um, for me, whenever something goes really well, like it did that couple of years ago, um, and this will sound kind of like cheesy, but I'll go to a space afterwards, and I'll just imagine that there's like all these bits of gold that have been put on me, and then I'll just shake them all off, and just, you know, remember that the stuff that has been put on me, the, the perceptions I've put on myself or the perceptions others have put on me, whether they want to make me a king or a criminal, whether it's mud or whether it's gold that has been stuck to me, prayer is the space in which I'm able to shake those things from me and remember who I am as a child of God. And I think that's, that's an important thing. And, and I'm hoping maybe that for some of you who have struggled with prayer, that, that some of the space of this imagination around prayer might become helpful for you. Um, as like I actually find the pictures really, really helpful. And so... A challenge I want to put to Blueprint uh, before we sing some songs tonight, and, and I think tonight, last week, we had a really amazing move of the Holy Spirit here, and I'd like to just allow some space again for the Spirit to come and just see, see what's going to happen. But a challenge I want to put to, to Blueprint tonight is that in both of these pictures here we have of Christ, the common theme here is that he removes himself, he withdraws himself from the people around him, and we have like a really beautiful community here. Like I actually think we do. This is really special. And if you've come to faith here or you've been to a lot of churches, like this is weird, right? Like it's pretty weird. It's pretty special here. But the challenge I want to put out to Blueprint is I wonder if sometimes <coughs> when the crowd comes near or when those, those king or criminal labels are put on us, rather than withdrawing and going to the Father, we sometimes too quickly go to one another. 
I think that can be the weakness of really good community, is that sometimes we need to ask ourselves whether actually we needed to go to another person and process that first, or whether we needed to go to the Father, ask him what he thinks, and how much better is it when we come to one another and say, I was talking to God, I think this might be what's going on, would you talk and pray with me? I want to challenge us as a community to be a people of deep community, but also a people of deep prayer, because I feel like our generation, not just our community here, but we can get into a bit of a talk fest, and there comes a point when when the talking's happening and the prayer's not, the healing isn't actually coming. Is that cool? Can I invite the uh, music guys up here? And, um, and how about we just, uh, as they come up, We'll just sit in a moment of silence. Close your eyes if you'd like to. And, um, and we'll just, I just invite you to reflect on maybe there was a particular word or a phrase or an idea that came to mind that is sticking with you right now. Lord, we just ask you, what is it out of all of that, out of what Pete said too, what is it that you are bringing to mind for us right now? What is it that you are highlighting within us?